0: You are listening to Will Ferguson, the pastor of Temple Baptist Church in Canton, Illinois. This podcast contains one of my sermons that was preached at Temple, that pertains to the Christian life and living. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse uh, four through seven, and verse seven is the one I want to focus on this morning. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, we want to focus on this morning the things he talks about in the very last verse. That love bears all things, that believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These are my favorite parts of this, what love is. Now we look at the other aspects as what it doesn't do, but we're actually looking this morning of what it actually does do. When I say I love somebody, there are some, there are some characteristics it should show, and these should be these four things that we're gonna look at. Okay? Well, let's pray, and then we'll then we'll get going. Father we pray this morning help us to learn how you instruct us to love how we are how we are to receive your love Lord I pray that we can we can live in a way that brings glory to you in a way that shows the world that there is a better way there's a more excellent way and that's called love and I pray that you help us to do that in our lives of course in Christ's name we pray amen so let's look at these four terms and and then I'll share with you uh, some points from that. First, I want to do two things. Number one, I want you to know how Jesus loves us this way. Now we, we sing about the cross. We know Jesus loves us in a very big way by sacrificing Himself on the cross. But you know, we sometimes we need to see the small ways that Jesus loves us, right? Because because that that, that shows us He's intensely uh, He's interested in the small things in our lives, not just the big thing but everything else in our lives. So that's what I hope to show you this morning, but also how not only how that Jesus loves us this way, but also how how we are to love other people this way. Now, you know, I can love Jennifer in the big ways. I'm, you know, I'm there when it matters the most and all that kind of thing. But there's also other little things that I should be doing in showing my love as well. And not just for Jennifer, but for other people in uh in in loving people. So there's four terms. Look at there, it says bears all things. So what does he mean when it says love bears all things? He means he puts up with things. It puts up with the flaws in the other person. So I'm putting up with it. That's what love does. Love puts up with things. It doesn't require the other person to be perfect before you care about them, right? If they're flawed, you're still going to care about them. It bears with that. And the truth of the matter is, there isn't a human being on the face of the earth that doesn't have flaws, right? We all have flaws. And so someone who is loving, has love, is someone who bears all things. They bear the brunt of their flaws and their mistakes. Isn't that the way it is when you have babies? And you do that when you have babies? I mean, they stink. They cry they keep you up at night. But you love them anyway. You're bearing... You're bearing through the all the stuff because you love them, and that's what love does. The second one is it believes all things. It believes all things. It believes in a person. It believes in them. Now, the, when we're loving someone, we we have we would have the ten things to say. I believe in you. I believe in what you can do. It is optimistic. A person who loves other people, it'd be an encourager. It's the type of person that would bring, that that love brings out the best in that person. Rather than focusing on the flaws, it bears the flaws, but it actually tries to bring the best out in that person and sees past the flaws and believes in that person. We all need to be believed in, don't we? The third one is that it hopes all things hopes all things love hopes all things it looks at the possibilities the potential that's in another person this is uh looks and sees the best that can be that when we talk about believing in someone we're talking about uh uh um seeing what is now okay but when we talk about hoping we're seeing what can be the potential when you look at a person and you have hope for that person you see their potential. You see what can happen in their life. You, you, you look for that. You have hope for that person. So that's future tense. What can a person become? What can happen? And then the fourth one, it says it endures all things. Endures all things. It doesn't quit on the other person. It doesn't quit. Love says, I'm sticking with this. I'm enduring you see, some, I, mean, I don't know how many watching the Olympics. I'm watching some of them. There's one event they go through, and it's just it's really interesting. They're going through, and, and as soon as they cross the finish line, they just collapse. I mean, they, they endure to the end, but when they get to the end, they collapse. They're on the, they're on the ground and they're breathing. It's like, whoa, oh, I guess that mountain air is pretty tough. But if we think that we can love somebody and we can quit on them easily, it's not love. Love causes us to endure. So I want you to think about this. This is how Jesus loved us. This is how He loves us. He loves us by he, he bears with us. He bears, puts up with us. Right? He believes. He believes in us. He believes in us, and we don't usually we don't usually talk about that because we uh, we 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 think about how depraved and how sinful we are and how wicked we can be, but Jesus believes in us. We're going to show that here pretty soon, but also Jesus has a hope for our lives. He has a hope that we can make a difference. We can do something significant. And then also Jesus's love for us endures. He doesn't quit on us. He's faithful. In the Jewish world, when they were making disciples, uh, it was different in that time of what we do here. In fact, Galilee, Galilee, the area of Galilee was a place that invented the word disciple. It's actually the word Talmud, Talmud. And I'm going to show, share with you that, how, how Jesus showed love on his disciples versus what we saw in the Jewish world. In the Jewish world, you had four levels. The first level is what we called the Beth level. And that was where you, every boy and girl, ages five through 12, would go into Training. The boys would go in and they would go to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? They would learn that between ages 5 and 12. The boys, by the end of that time, they would have the Torah totally memorized. Memorized. Okay? The girls, they would have separate training. They would memorize parts of the Torah and they would have Parts of Psalms and Proverbs memorized. So when the boys came through that period of time between five, when they turned 12, then if they didn't have the giftedness to go on, then they would go back and work in their father's trade. If the girls got the age 12, if the girls were gifted or not, it didn't matter. They still they went, they were homemakers. Okay? So, okay, but but anyway, that's that's as far as the girls got, right? In the Jewish world. So the boys at age 12, if they showed giftedness in Torah, they would move on to the next level. And remember, Jesus was age 12 when he was in the temple, wasn't he? And he was amazing, the, the, the people at that time. So they would go into the next level, which would be called the Beth Midrash. And that's three to four years. They would do that. And they would memorize not only the Torah, but they would also memorize the Tanakh, the the entire Old Testament. They would memorize that whole, that whole book. And so they were. They, by, the time, by the end, they would test them to see if they could recite it, uh, recite the whole Old Testament. And if they were showing some giftedness, they'd move on to the next level. If they didn't show any giftedness, and they, they messed up, well, they became fishermen and farmers and just normal, common people. But then the next level, if they showed a giftedness, they'd go to level three. Level three is called Beth Talmud. And this is the one where they become disciples. Disciples. Now think about it. You've memorized the entire Old Testament. And what's left? Well, the Talmud where you, you would actually get into interpreting the Bible. Get in some real interpretation. And what they would do, they would, they would study under a rabbi. A teacher. And he, their, their aim would be to try to be like, exactly like that rabbi. So they would look for rabbis. What rabbi should I follow? Who should I learn under? Kind of like kids going to college, you know? What's the best college I can go to? Right? What's the best one going to be the best best education for cheap? (laughs) But anyway, they're looking for this rabbi, looking for the best rabbi uh, to study under. They're about age fifteen when they when they start to follow the rabbi, and so when they find a rabbi they want to follow, they would go up to the prospective rabbi, and they would say, "Can I follow you?" do you think I could be like you? And the rabbi would uh, be humbled. He would say, I, I'm honored you've asked me. And then he would, recite from the, he would have the student recite from the book of Leviticus or some other book to prove that he knows his stuff. And the rabbi would ask him some questions. And so the rabbi would give him his answer one of two ways. He would say, um, God has gifted you, but you do not have the gifts to be like me. So he had been refused. Now, the rabbi would say this to many people. Many people would be rejected. But once in a while, they'll have one who would be accepted. He says, yes, you have the gift of this to be like me. And they would enter into the school of that rabbi. And immediately, that, that 15-year-old would move in to be with the rabbi, to learn everything the rabbi does, to watch him closely, to listen to the rabbi. They would, they said, they had a saying, they wanted to, they wanted to catch the dust from the feet of the rabbis. They followed him. Uh, it's crazy. So from the age of 15, and what do you think the the, the ending age of that would be? Age 30. Can you imagine that? Here he is learning, studying with the rabbi, trying to be just like his rabbi. So from the age, so think about it, all from the age of uh, the young age of five years old, all the way to age 30. This guy's studying and 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 devoted his whole life to being a follower, a disciple. Now, I don't know about you, I, probably, I, would fail the test, I would fail the test probably at 12 years old. <laughs> All the Torah, that's, that's tough. Going through, the, Memorize the book of Numbers. That would be really tough. Right? At age 30, they move to the next level. Once they, once they get to age 30, they become a rabbi themselves. You remember Jesus was age 30 when He was baptized. When He became. Well, a rabbi, so to speak. Jesus began his ministry at age 30. I want you to notice his 12 disciples. Did any of his disciples you remember his disciples? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, Simon, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew, James, Thaddeus, and Judas. All of these disciples were men who were fishing, were tax collectors, which means that they didn't make the cut, right? They were these guys that got rejected. These were outsiders. These were guys that didn't make it in. And Jesus walks up to the, to the fisherman and says, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus is um, choosing me. He's going totally outside the way they do things. Which would have taken many, many years to do. How many years did Jesus spend with His disciples? Do you remember? Was it 30 Less than 30. It was less than three years. Three years. Wow, that's radical. That's crazy. These disciples that really probably didn't memorize the Torah. They probably didn't know much about, didn't know all that stuff. They didn't follow, they weren't that, they weren't that into it. They didn't show the giftedness. But yet, Jesus chose them. He saw something in them and He takes the initiative and invites them. They did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose them and said, You come follow me. I want you to follow me. Jesus saw something in them. He was going to bring them out. Jesus, in less than three years, trains these men. These 12 men. And these 12 men are expected to turn the world upside down. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Jesus' love was for these disciples? Yeah, he, he, he was bearing with their faults, but he also believed in them, he believed in their potential, what they could become. He was had this hope in what they could become and what they could do, and he also endured. Think about all the times that the disciples got it wrong, failed him. Right? Uh, G, Peter denied Jesus. Philip, Philip asked that he would show him the Father. Right? Jesus has been doing this the whole time. And hey, Philip, you don't get it. What's the deal? John, James, and John wanted to call lightning down on the Samaritans. They scattered the night that Jesus was arrested. But yet, Jesus still pursued them. He loved them. Jesus was confident they could be like Him. He believed them, believed in them. He was confident they could impact the world. And so He gave the authorities, the keys of the kingdom to them. And He also gave to them the promised Holy Spirit. Gave to them this. All by His loving them. All by his loving them. 1 John chapter 4, I want you to see something. 1 John, verse 7 to 13. You know, here Peter's in the boat with all the disciples, and it's it's out there storming a little bit. And Peter, he goes out there. It's really kind of another funny thing about Jesus' humor. He's walking on the water, and he's going by the boat like he's going to pass them, right? Like he's going to go by. Hey, guys. but But they stop him. And Peter says, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out onto the water with you. Well, first off, that tells me Jesus loved me. He says, come on out, Peter. Come on out. Jesus was excited, and Peter was excited, so he steps out of the boat, and he walks on the water. And you remember what happened. Peter saw the winds and the waves, and he became afraid, and he says he sank. And Jesus said something that I think I misunderstood. Jesus said to, to Peter, he says, Peter, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, what was Peter doubting? What was Peter doubting? Now, oftentimes, I would, I would, I would think about it, and I've even preached it, that Peter was doubting Jesus' power to keep Him on the water. That kind of true. But I think Peter was doubting that he could walk on water. He was doubting in his own ability that God was giving him to walk on water. And that's what Jesus is saying. Why are you doubting you can do this, Peter? Why did you doubt? And you know, there's so much I think that God wants us to be able to experience and do that He's interested in doing that He wants us to share with Him and yet we don't believe in ourselves to do it. And yet Jesus does. Who, who believed? Who believed in Peter's ability to do that? Jesus. Jesus believed in it. So Jesus was believing in Peter when Peter wasn't believing in Peter. You know? Jesus was believing in Peter in a lot of times in Peter's life. And Jesus, I believe, believes in you and me in times when we don't believe in ourselves. In fact, Jesus sees our potential. And I think there's a lot of times that Jesus and his love shakes his head. So, why are they not? Why don't they push forward? Why don't they be like the people I know they can be? Why can't they be the person I know they can be? Jesus' love. Aches and yearns for that. Have you ever have you ever met a child? I, I drove a drove a kid years ago on the bus. I was driving, him and he had all this great potential. And his the thing he's going he was going to. Uh, I asked him, "What do you what do you want to be when you grow up?" He told me he wanted to be the manager of a of a fast food restaurant. Now, that's okay, but I thought. I thought, you know, you need to have a little higher... You have potential. You have higher aspirations. You should should go for it. I think that sometimes when you love somebody, you want them to make the most of their life, to make the most of the potential. Somebody once said, God's gift to you is your potential. But what you do with your potential is your gift back to God. And I think that God believes believes in you, believes in us more than we realize. He wants us to go for it more than we realize, and we want. To, oftentimes, we blame God for thinking that He doesn't want us to do something. Remember Moses? God called Moses to get the people out of the, out of slavery and into the promised land, and Moses was stuck, stuck with a belief barrier. So, I want you to know this morning: God, Christ loves you. He cares about your life. He cares about you. He bears with you. He believes in you. He hopes in all things for you. And He endures. Let's read 1 John 4. verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. In those verses, John shares with us, it's not that we, it's not that we love God, but God loves us first. And we must know and understand His love for us. So we can return that love to Him. When we fully understand how much God loves us, that motivates us to love each other. And actually, John actually tells us he commands us to accept one another. He commands us to love one another. Why? Because He's given us the Spirit of love. That's one of those things that when you do it, it happens. When when we take the step to do it, God's Spirit enables our doing when we do it. But until we do that, if we sit there and stand there and not do it, um, We will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit helping us do that. But when we take out and step out and start doing that, start loving, then we begin to experience the love of Christ afresh in our lives. I know that happens when I'm ministering, when I'm serving. I feel the love of Christ flow through me for those people, for the persons I'm loving. So how do we do this? Just do it. You are equipped if the Spirit lives in you. You have the capacity to love. Allow Christ's love and acceptance for you to sink in. And it takes time to think about it. We have it in our head. Yeah, God loves me. Yeah, God loves me. But it takes time to get it from the head into the heart. But once it grabs you, once it gets into your heart, you're caught. You you want to love other people the way God loves you. It motivates you. And I can see Jesus doing that. What a picture of someone who bears up with everybody else. Here Jesus is on the cross and all these people are crucifying Him. And what What does He say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. You hear Stephen doing the same thing. And then you hear, I mean, uh, Philip does another thing in in another town. Before we close, I want to share with you. uh, As we close, Jesus calls us to follow Him. We are to be like Him, we are to live like Him, and we are to love like Him. Do you have someone in your life that you need to be Jesus to? Who is Jesus calling you to love? I'm going to tell you, that's a hard question. I got nailed last night. Uh, I was praying. God, ha- God has somebody been on my life for a long time. And I don't want <laughs> to... I don't want to do this because it's just you don't want to do it. Who is Jesus calling you to love? He may put somebody in your life, you may have somebody in your life you've just been, oh, I wish they weren't there, wish to just get away. But God may be calling you to draw that person close and to care. Because God may want to be want to pour through you into that person, or maybe more importantly, pour through that person into you. Who's God calling you to love? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe somebody in your family specifically. What about a friend or a neighbor? Somebody you're working with. What about that annoying person? The one that annoys you a lot. The impossible person. How about the enemy? You know, Jesus says, love your enemies. He commands us to do that. Now while I share this, I want you to I want you to be careful of to- the toxic person. There's toxic people. And that's why we have to love in truth. Because there are people we will love and it's like, it's like uh, pouring into a, an abyss. A bottomless pit. And the reason why, reason why there's people out there that cannot receive love because they don't believe they are lovable. No matter how hard you tell them you love them. No matter what you do, there are some people out there that just simply will not believe because they don't believe they're lovable. They think that they are suspicious about you. They're suspicious about your motive. And there's those, those toxic people who are like that. And how do you help people get over that? Well, one thing you have to help them to be able to be, believe that they're lovable. And here, such a person, such a, it's really tragic because such a person is hard to receive love from God. Because they believe that God can't love me. Now He'll love everybody else, but He can't love me. I'm an exception, and those kinds of people are. It's sad, but we have to help them to get over their belief barrier. That no, they're not an exception. They can be loved, and they're worth they're worth loving. And those kind of people, yes, you want to love them. You need we need to love them, but we also need to help them to overcome a belief barrier. If you have a relationship with someone that's like that, it takes a little. It takes a little bit of doing. I've, uh, in my time as pastor, I've met people like that. Um, I've come across people. I've counseled with people like that. You have, well, for in, in marriages, you've got this person over here that's loving him or her, and it doesn't matter how much this person does. They're doing everything. This person, they they get happy for a while. They believe it for a little while, and then all of a sudden they. They stop believing it. And they become, they just, they're self-destructive. They're, they need help. If you find that kind of person, they need help. and we can, we can help them. We can do that. God wants people to know He loves them. And God goes out of His way. And for the disciples, Jesus went out of His way to show them specifically that He loved each one of them in a special way. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that Jesus does the same for you. If we're able to see the signs, we're able to see what He's doing around us. Uh, pretty cool. So I ask you the question, do you have someone in your life that you need to, lo- need to love like Jesus wants to love Who is Jesus calling you to love? And probably the more important question, do you believe in your heart that Jesus loves you and that He cares? That you're here in this town and and Jesus is walking through, and He would seek you out because He wants to spend time with you. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, there are times that I don't believe that for myself. I think that sometimes I didn't do something right, or do this or do that, and I'm not worthy of Jesus' love, so He doesn't love me. And that, that, what, does is, what that does is I, I'm not motivated to pray, I'm not motivated to read the Bible, I'm not re- motivated to seek Him. Because I think that he doesn't want to talk to me because I did something wrong. And that's the devil's lie. The devil wants to keep us away from Jesus. But Jesus loves us. He's looking forward to meeting with us. He's looking forward to the time of us having fellowship with him. I think our view of Jesus sometimes needs to change. We need to change and see what he is like when he's in Scripture. How for the people he was. How for for us He is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. I pray that you were encouraged in your faith. This is Pastor Will. Till next time, may God bless you and keep you.